Observing and Sketching from Hawaii with Dr. Cindy Crash on episode 371 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for everybody who enjoys going out under the stars. So uh, welcome to the show, Cindy. I'm just going to read a brief introduction and then we'll hop into things. How does that sound? Sounds great. Thanks, Chris and Shane, for having me on. Great. Good to have you. Uh, Dr. Cindy Crash is a retired animal surgeon and pet care practitioner who observes and sketches deep sky objects nightly from her driveway on Maui, where she has also been uh, putting her hand to uh, public outreach and in, in a project called Stars of Hope for displaced residents of the Lahana fires. Uh, she has been involved in public outreach with the Institute of uh, for Astronomy on Maui since 2010. I first knew Cindy, we were talking about this when we were getting going here, I first knew Cindy from her involvement on the Claudia Knight Sketching Forum, where she kindly encourages those of us uh, who are struggling to, to get started in, in sketching, and I certainly appreciated her support and guidance. Uh, Cindy is a member of the Haleakala Amateur Astronomers on Maui. And in 2014, she created the uh, Astronomical League Sketching Program, which she coordinates. She has earned many observing certificates of achievement from the Astronomical League and is a frequent contributor to astronomy magazines, in particular uh, lunar sketches. And she had a lunar sketch featured on the cover of the September 2022 edition of the Sky and Telescope magazine for those that, uh, that enjoyed that as I did. Uh, so you can check out her sketches on the astronomy uh, sketch of the day, which I think is is still in existence, but uh, I think they've they've stopped putting out new sketches. Uh, to top it all off, uh, Cindy has recently ground her own mirror and is building her first telescope. So hello, aloha, Cindy, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Aloha. Thanks for having me. So maybe we can just get started a little bit and talk about your outreach with the uh, with the Stars of Hope, can you tell us about uh, this program and and what your involvement is with it? Yeah, you know, um, most people are aware of the fires that occurred on Maui on August 8th that were, you know, they're fueled by 60 to 80 mile an hour winds that were a result of a hurricane that was traveling 500 miles south of the islands. And uh, multiple, multiple fires started on Maui that day, including where I live in Kula, um, where the fires came to within a quarter mile of our, of our home. And luckily we were safe. Uh, but the town of Lahaina was basically burned to the ground and 99 people died as a result of the fire. And there are still people unaccounted for. Um, and Stars of Hope, which is now called Maikalani, which literally means from the heavens in Hawaiian, uh, began as a way to support the Lahaina community. And um, this has been through the direction of Dr. J.D. Armstrong, and he's the outreach coordinator for the University of Hawaii Institute for Astronomy. And he was originally contacted by Red Cross to ask if it was possible to just you know bring some telescopes out for the residents. So for the past uh, seven years, we've been setting up scopes at the, the hotels where people that have lost their homes are being uh, housed. And, you know, we just we just talk story and show the night sky. And it, especially in the beginning, um, a lot of times people wanted to tell their story about what happened to them uh, with the fire. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, they just want to look through the scope and just kind of um, you know, enjoy the view. And I, I think it was a chance to just think about something else for a while and be in the moment. 
And there, there was this amazing outpouring of volunteer interest for the effort. And it originally was just Haleakala amateur astronomers, but uh, JD brought in people from PanStars and US Space Force and Air Force and STEM teachers. And, you know, a lot of people got involved. So it's been fun to meet a lot of different people involved in astronomy. And um, when we started, I, I wasn't even aware of this, but uh, I later found out that there are actually studies showing that astronomy outreach has a positive mental effect for people um, suffering from trauma and depression. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is kind of a funny little story. I was, you know, I had been taking an eight inch job to the events and, um, but there was a lot of light at some of the hotels and I couldn't star hop. So I thought, all right, you know, I'll take my my four inch because it's got a go to mount. And long story short, don't set up a four inch refractor next to a 12 and a half inch reflector for outreach. <laughs> people are a lot less likely to be odd when, you know, they get to your <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, um, you know, my, my condolences to uh, to you and the people on Maui for the, the travesty of the fire. Um, unfortunately, one of those things that, uh, you know, many of us know other people that have been uh, greatly impacted by fires. You and I were discussing uh, sort of personally on, on, you know, our communication prior to this. Uh, it is one of those things. Um, but it's great that you're able to uh, get out there and to show people some of these things. And, uh you know, at, at the very least, uh, perhaps a distraction. And like you were saying, uh, you know, being able to go out and experience, uh, you know, the joy and wonder of of seeing the universe through a telescope uh, definitely, uh, definitely improves my mood when, when things aren't going well. So I can understand uh, the impact that that is having. Very, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so Cindy, how did you uh, get interested or, or started in astronomy? Okay. Um, well, my dad, you know, he was like this armchair astronomer, meaning that he read a lot. And he was always telling me about you know, black holes swallowing even light, which was, you know, pretty mind blowing when you're a kid. And the Apollo missions were happening in the late 60s. And uh, he borrowed a, a a small refractor to set up in our alleyway in Chicago to look at the moon. And, you know, I just remember being really awed uh, by looking at another world. And uh, that that love for astronomy continued, but I was a lot like my dad. I'd, I'd read about it or I'd watch videos. And in um, 1999, I decided to buy an eight-inch Orion Dob, and this was actually a gift for my husband. Um, but we we used it for a while from our deck uh, in Hawaii, and we looked at all the you know the brightest stuff, and just pointing it at the night sky. And we weren't really sure what to look at, and then the then the scope went into the closet. And fast forward another ten years. And I took an astronomy class at the local Maui Community College with this lady named Becky Sidney. And she was like one of those crazy passionate people that's so excited about what she's teaching that you just you couldn't help but get excited too. And I think I was already primed for it, but it, it was like somebody lit a fire under me. And I pulled out that adding that eight inch, you know, from the closet and I cleaned off all the mold and the dust. And, you know, from then on, I just, I just couldn't get enough. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, my first real telescope was an eight inch daub as well a sky watcher. And, uh, you know, I think that that's a fairly common entry scope or, or when somebody buys their first serious telescope, that seems like a, a common choice. And, and, you know, I still have fond memories of that eight inch and it's of all of the gear I bought and sold, that one is likely the one I regret the most in terms of selling. So I wished yeah. I still had it. Um, I, I, are you still, oh, go, go ahead. 
no, I was just going to say, I feel really fortunate that that was the first scope because, you know, people that have go to right off the bat, I think, I think you learn so much less about the night sky rather than, you know, having to star hop. Yeah, absolutely. Are you still using the eight inch today or do yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh yeah. I, I use, that's my primary outreach scope. Okay. Okay. What other telescopes are you uh, using uh, these days? Okay, so yeah, I have the eight inch and I um, also um, purchased a, a custom EQ uh, tracking mount. So I use it for that scope and then I use it from, for some other scopes. But my favorite scope that I will never part with is a 12 and a half inch portable reflector. Mm. And it's, you know, it's a ball scope on a ring base and you can move the eyepiece uh, anywhere you want it. And so that's that's my favorite scope of all time. I have the four inch refractor and I have an 80 millimeter hydrogen um, alpha lunt scope that I bought myself when I retired. Wow. Like yeah. Yeah. The the portables um, before I bought my 12 inch light bridge, I really was intrigued by the portable and. Uh, the design, I think, is is pure genius, and, and yeah. you know how it sort of overcomes some of the limitations or frustrations that a D Dobsonian mount has. Mm -hmm. um, uh, are those still being made, Chris? No. Or, or yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mag One is no more. Um, that yeah. was the the place that built them. Um, but uh, and I actually have a, a prototype scope. So it it was one of the first ones that they built. And I, I got it from an astronomer that worked on the Big Island. And when I first, I, I just like happened to be on on um, Craigslist one day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, that's, I, I want that scope. And I contacted the guy and he was like, nope, not shipping it off the Big Island. Sorry, you know, I want to, I want to sell it locally. And um, one of my, one of my friends, uh, Rob Ratkowski knows a lot of people and we're in the same astronomy group. And uh, he contacted somebody on the big island and a friend went over, packed it up and shipped it over to me. So wow. come true. It was pretty awesome. I didn't think I was going to get it and I wasn't going to give up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> Very yeah. cool. I've, I've, uh, I didn't look through it, but I was, um, in the daytime, uh, trialing one, uh, my friend, Judy Sterner, she is one, she is the eight inch and she had it set up on like, a a fancy milk crate and i had never used one in person before and it was just getting dark and oh just the ability to not only point it where you want but then to be able to rotate that eyepiece what yeah. a genius design eh yep it's so comfortable i i yeah i i really love it and then on on an eq tracking base um it's i mean it's just it's awesome it's really awesome yeah Really makes me want to get. Is Rob the the? Is he the spotter? Is he the uh, plane? The laser planes? The, yes, the, he yes. Is. yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I spent an evening with Rob when I was on uh, Haleakala. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So you were at our pad up there. Yeah, I was. I was up top, and he he sort of met me at the gate, and then uh, I was able to to do it do a session in between the big telescopes, which was sort of oh. like a dream. Yeah, it was Isn't amazing. It? That's yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool place to go. Go ahead, Shane. Um, so I understand, Cindy, that you're building a telescope. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, uh, you know, I, I have this really great love for astronomy, like most people um, in this hobby, and I don't even like calling it a hobby, but 
Um, I decided a few years ago that I wanted to uh, grind uh, a mirror. So I'm, I'm super fortunate. I have two wonderful mentors, Stan Truitt. He's a he's a retired mirror master mirror optician here on Maui, and then Jerry Oltian, who you've had on your show before. You know, he's he's ground mirrors and figured mirrors and and built scope uh, built scopes before. So I've I've had both of them, uh, and and um. And one of the cool things about this is that um, the two mentors use two different methods of going along and, and figuring the mirror. So um, on Stan's side, it was Foucault, and on Jerry's side, it, it's more Ronti. So, you know, and they don't, they, so there was kind of like this friction going on and, and it was, it, it was kind of fun to do both methods, but then to hear them you know, talking about, um, yeah, this side, this way works better and this way does not work better. So it made it more interesting. But anyway, once the mirror was as far as I could take it, but before um, testing the optics, I decided uh, instead of, you know, making a testing sand, I, I just make a telescope for it. And I, 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 I wanted to do this too, because I, I had this this idea that yeah you know someday I want to build my own you know 16 to 18 inch ultralight like you know oh you know how hard could that be right that's a joke of course um <laughs> so I'm I'm currently doing a knockoff of Gary Saronic's Outback double strut scope and I'm only using hand tools and and simple power tools like a router and and skill saw so it's it's a it's a pretty it's going to be a pretty simple and stri um, stripped down scope when I finish. And what amazes me is like how many mistakes I've made. But it, it's also forced me to really like think through problems, and I I love that. And to be honest, I've enjoyed building the scope a lot more than figuring the mirror. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's great. Is there many uh, telescope builders uh, on any of the islands of Hawaii? You know, on our island, there aren't no one in my yeah. astronomy group. And there's like about 30 people in Haleakala Amateur Astronomers. It's not very big and no one is really into that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've been, I've, uh, Jerry's been a, a good friend for many years. Um, and when we, we met because of the portable, I actually asked him some questions and he was super helpful. And we've known each other for like the past 15 years. So when I decided to do the mirror, I was like, oh yeah, Jerry, I'll just ask Jerry. <laughs> yeah, good good to know people like uh like that. Um probably over the last 6 to 8 month, months here on the podcast, we've had multiple amateur telescope makers and I am just fascinated by kind of the community of support that exists and just the super creative uh telescopes that they're coming up with and um you mentioned it kind of some of these ultralight uh, designs are are very intriguing to me as well as like the like the enormous aperture and super fast optics that they're producing it is just unbelievable to me i think it's great yeah me too i'm hoping that uh, you know one day if, whether i whether i build something or not and i kind of less now that i've gone through this process with the <laughs> the 8 inch i'm like well maybe but it isn't as much of a uh, a drive for me. I mean, if I could find an, an ultralight 16 to 18, I'd, I'd scoop it up. So I'm always looking, always looking. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping maybe to get my, my line on a 16 inch this coming week. Maybe we'll see. Okay. We'll see well, what good happens. Luck. Oh, I know. Yeah. Want to hear yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, let's see. So, uh, how did you get started? Um, 
in sketching, maybe we'll just sort of hop hop over to sketching. How okay. what sort of made you want to uh, begin capturing what you see through the eyepiece uh, on paper? Well, um, I always enjoyed sketching, but uh, I have no formal training except for you know some classes as a kid. Like a lot of kids took piano. And I enjoyed sketching animals when I was working as a veterinarian. But um, so once I got into, you know, really got into astronomy, it just seemed natural to record what I was seeing. And I originally used a lined notebook and a pen, no eraser. And, you know, I make a lot of these little notes in the margins and questions that popped into my mind, which, you know, were a lot of them. Uh, everything was just so new to me. And it was, it, it's cool to keep that log with all those thoughts and um, waiting for the sky to clear one, one night. Um, I wrote, wow, you know, I just, I feel like a love struck teenager waiting for the phone to ring. So all these little, <laughs> you know, little thoughts come into your mind. And it was just fun to write those down and along with what I was looking at in the scope and then go back to them. So, um, and one of the books that I will always be grateful for was Turn Left at Orion. And that was because of the sketches. Uh, I had a pretty good idea of what I'd see when I when I looked at objects with my scope. And I, I knew, you know, it wouldn't they wouldn't look like Hubble images, even though like this part of me was like, well, maybe. But, um, you know, that bo- that book definitely got me more interested in sketching, too. And I found uh, astronomy sketch of the day and I was just really amazed by what people were sketching. And I thought, wow. You know, if I just took a little bit more time, I could probably like, you know, do better, make better sketches. So I, you know, got rid of the lined paper and I bought some pencils. And what happened to surprise me was that the more time I took to observe something and sketch it, the more I could see. And it it was kind of like this little light bulb went off and I thought, wow, you know, I discovered something no one else knows. Yeah. And then, you know, later I, <laughs> I found out that this wasn't any kind of new idea. There are astronomy websites with sketching forums and people that do it. But for me, it was a personal discovery. And, you know, sometimes those are the best. And, uh, you know, I posted a lot of sketches on astronomy sketch of the day and some other defunct uh, forum, but I knew about cloudy nights. And for some reason, I was like terrified of posting there. Uh, these, are, these are like, you know, the big kids on the block. Uh, but once I posted that first sketch, I felt really accepted and welcome. And, you know, as you said, Chris, I'm I'm still active there today and I, I, I enjoy it. So that's, that's where I'm at. Are, are you still actively sketching? Are you working on any current uh, projects? Yeah, I, I, I sketch uh, a lot of time when when I'm out. Um, but I am uh, working right now, I'm working on the, the ARP program with Astronomical League. Uh, it's getting back into uh, galaxy season again and Herschel too. And then I, I'm working on trying to sketch as many Claire obscure objects on the moon or, or features on the moon. And that's just that, you know, that play of light and shadow that makes things look like something else, uh, you know, like Lunar X or the Cassini's Moon Maiden um, or, or uh, guitar, you know, the the uh, guitarist on the moon. So um, that's kind of the, the stuff that I am currently working on. Cindy, the, the Claire Obscure effects are super interesting to me. Have you found uh, like a good resource to list all of the different, you, you know, uh, like timings and, and what you can see with Claire Obscure effects there? Yeah, you know, basically, 
Um, there are there are a couple. There is uh, a spreadsheet that Mike Rowling on Cloudy Nights created. And if you search it on Cloudy Nights, you probably can find it. There is also free software called the Lunar Terminator Visualization Tool. And mm-hmm. it, it's free for download. There is a, a little like a little book written about it on Amazon, which is really helpful for figuring it out. But it, it, if you know the the date and time, UT time of, of any event, you can plug it in and it will actually find in the in the future when that event is going to be again, which is great because some of these features are really short lived. And um, so I use I use that a lot and it's very accurate at showing um, what the shadows look like. So it's, hmm. it's great. And I, I wrote a, an article for it for the Reflector magazine uh, for Astro League. And if you Google, um, you know, Astro League and Claire Obscure, you probably can find it. And I just talk a little bit more about, about it and how to, how to get, um, you can actually even contact me and I'll, I'll send you the list that I have that Mike Rowley gave me. Okay. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Roughly how many, how many Claire Obscure um, I, I hate to call them like objects because they're really, yeah, I know. Bad, but how many yeah. of these things exist uh, that you're aware of? You know, um, I actually haven't counted them, but I think okay. there are like, you know, 60, 70 of them maybe on the list. And I mean, I've seen things that I've gone, oh, this isn't named. I've I've got it. You know, this, this looks like a ball player in Capuanas or this, you know, this looks like something else. So I've, I've kind of added those to my own little little list uh but i mean once you start seeing them it's like your mind looks for them which is yeah. really fun you're out you're yeah. going oh that looks like and just capturing it as quickly as you can before the light changes is sometimes sometimes uh difficult yeah yeah it, it's i just kinda... put uh, mike's list there in the in the chat of 99 lunarisms clear obscure yes there we go yes great Okay, yeah. I was wrong. It was not 70 something. It's like more. I, oh, well, awesome. this was a recent post where he said he added to it. So it could okay. have been 70. And anyway, I just found the most recent one. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, it's it's kind of a neat way to observe the moon, uh, like a different way to observe the moon. And I find myself uh, sometimes when I am looking at, uh, you know, the, the moon and in various phases, you know, I'm looking for certain craters and, and, you know, true features on the surface, but then I, I always spend time just looking at the shadows and the light to see if there's just something unique there to see, uh, it, you know, that, that is a clear obscure effect. So, uh, yeah. this list is a, a great resource. I'm excited to have a look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just sometimes, you know, I mean, some light ray will fall across a crater floor and you're like, Oh, that is, that's like really interesting looking. And, yeah, so then you know, that's when I get really excited. I got, I've got a capture that I got to go get me, and I'm like, make sure I try to get that. Yeah, love it. That's great. When I was uh, preparing for a conversation, I had Googled your name and sketching. One of the videos that comes up is uh, it's like a tutorial video that you shared with the uh, Northern Virginia Astronomy Club on how to do. You did. Uh, the beehive cluster and and some galaxies and such that is an amazing video everybody should go and watch that video if they want to learn how to do astronomy sketching thank you thank you yeah i i, I did that for and, and unfortunately um 
I was really worried that like my videos wouldn't play. So I pre-recorded it. So it was kind of dorky. It was like at first um, when they started recording it, there were the videos or there was the, the what I was presenting. And then I was sitting on the side just going. <laughs> so I asked them, can you just like remove that part of it? So it's just the video and they did. But um, yeah, I wanted to make sure all of my videos would play. And so that was the reason for that. It was a great way to do it. I, I can understand sort of live in real time how it might have seemed a bit different. But for for sort of uh, those who are going to watch it later, it's really, really well done that you took the time to sort of shoot overhead and then show the target in one screen and then show how you were sketching in another screen. It's just beautifully done. And it's done in such a way that people can just follow along with you. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I, ha I had somebody write who was looking to get into astronomical sketching and they just really hadn't sort of crossed over the line yet. They had bought the pencils and some paper and they were kind of ready to do it. And I said, well, if you want to get going with it, just watch this video and follow along. So I sent them the video and they did all the sketches. Um, so it would sort of uh, give that bit of uh, experience and training before now they they go out to the uh, to the eyepiece and start trying to do it. Because, you know, it's, it is, uh, to me anyway, it, it still can be a little bit intimidating to go out with the equipment and then to sit at the telescope and do it. So just to do some sketching at, at your desk where it's nice and comfortable and the warmth of your home to build up some of those basic skills but before you go and try to put all this together um, under the freezing cold or whatever, you know, is really, really beneficial. Yeah. And, and just doing it indoors and kind of, like you said, just getting the feel for it before getting out there, because it, it is a little difficult. You've got low light and um, you're trying to see a page and put things on a page. And there are times that I'll, you know, I'll be out sketching and then I, I bring in what I've sketched and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like stray marks everywhere on the paper. And I, I you know, do a little bit of editing to, re to remove some of that, but uh, it, it, it takes, you know, takes a little bit of practice, I think, to feel comfortable with it. I have to try this with the moon. I find the moon is something I'm reluctant to sketch. There's so much uh, detail and then like such stark contrast uh, mm -hmm. that I, I, I was looking at the way that you sketched uh, that lunar crater in the video. And what really struck me is what, you know, and I, and I hope I don't offend you, but you, you start with just this very simple, basic, and I was thinking, well, I could draw an oval like that and I could sort of shade it. This, this isn't looking too bad. And then you keep going over it and gradually like the crater kind of emerges from, from the paper. And uh, at the end, I was like, I'm not so sure again. <laughs> no, it's, you know, I mean, when it comes to lunar sketching, it's, it, it, it's really, it's about like putting light next to dark. And, you know, you're, you're making it more 3D as you fill in those dark shadows and, you know, showing the direction of the light. And I struggled with early lunar sketches. And I mean, I still do. I mean, there are times that I'm, you know, going for it and then I crumble up the paper and grab a new piece of paper. And I've had nights where I'm like, yeah, you know, let's just let's just enjoy the moon because we're not getting anywhere tonight. Yeah, I like um how you talked about just using that drift method for putting in, I think the westerly direction. Yeah. I keep, I keep forgetting to put the direction into my sketches. I'm just so happy to 
have finally gotten to the point where what I'm putting down on the paper starts to to look like what the thing actually looks like. And then yeah. I forget to put some of those details down. But I like, um, I think you describe letting it drift through the field. And then um, what is it that the direction opposite is is west? I think that's how it... Well, the, no, the, uh, you put your object in the middle of the field and wherever it drifts out is west. And then from there, it, the number of reflection tells you um, if... Um, north is going to be clockwise or counterclockwise. So um, once you do that, like if it, it, um, if you have a reflector or you know a Newtonian reflector, or you have a, a refractor without a diagonal, north from that west point is going to be counterclockwise. And if you have an SCT or you know a Mac or a refractor with a diagonal, then north is going to be clockwise. And this. That stuff just was so hard for me to understand when I first um, started sketching. I, I don't know why. It was just very difficult. And I, I found uh, Jeremy Perez's website, and he, he, he doesn't have this on his site anymore. But it was like this really simple, how do you find your cardinal directions? And I, I, it helped me a lot. So Yeah, I think his, his website is the Belt of Venus, and I've spent some yes. time there. But I don't remember seeing that. So I yeah. it must he must have taken it off before I started doing this. Yeah. The the Astronomical League, um, I've got a lot of um links to different things from the page of resources. And one of them is how to find cardinal direction. So it's you know just a good place to go if you forget. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Um let's see, there was another thing in here. Oh, I just liked how you talked about Plotting the brighter stars. This is what struck me. And, and I've been using this. Um, this I have been using, which is about getting the bright stars down and then approximating some of the other details. And you reinforce not necessarily trying to get pinpoint accuracy on every single star in the field because you can kind of never never get the sketch done and you might not get like the um like the correct. Uh, sort of brightness of the stars, which I was struggling with. So by simply plotting in those brighter stars and then approximating some of those fainter stars, I find that was also very, very good advice. I'm not sure if I've said that well enough, but that, that's no. been helpful to me. Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, and I, I think sometimes when you when you're looking at a really rich field with a lot of stars, and I, I mentioned this in the video, it's it's like overwhelming. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, where do I start? Like, I'm not going to get everything. So it's it's just like like you said, you know, putting in those brightest stars, some of the other ones, and then maybe filling in some more, but not getting lost in those details that you you know you could probably record, but might take you a very long time to do. And 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 it it might not be necessary for um, what you really you know recording the most important features. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's really nice. Actually, I did go out and sketch M44 yesterday morning. <laughs> so <laughs> with just with my binoculars, though, but uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Let's see. One, one of the um, tools that you're using for sketching is the tortillon. I, I, I've never really taken to that. Can you tell, talk a little bit about using that and what a tortillon is and, and yeah. how you use it? Okay. It's it's just basically a rolled up piece of paper that comes to a point and available in art supply stores. They're really cheap. They come in like, you know, a big box of a hundred for like six bucks or something. 
And um, I, I really like those for blending. So I use them a lot in my lunar sketches and I use them for, um, for doing like galaxies or it, it, anything where you want to get into a, a kind of a, a sharp area and blend something they work very nicely for, but mm -hmm. um, really important to remember is like, keep your, like I work with black paper too. So you have to keep the ones you use for black paper separate from the ones for white paper or, you know, you get surprises sometimes. Oh, okay. And so are you sketching um, with graphite on white paper these days, or have you gone over to uh, the dark side of the white pastel chalk on, on the black paper as well? Uh, you know, I've definitely gone over to the dark side. Of the <laughs> um, but it, it, I do both. So for deep sky sketching, I still use white paper and either graphite or charcoal pencils. And I honestly don't like graphite as much as I do charcoal. Uh, and that I do like to scan my sketches and invert them and then look at them as more of an eyepiece view. But when it comes to lunar features, I almost always use black paper and it's it's just more natural for me um, on what I'm seeing. Uh, and as a tip, um, get artist grade black paper. I've been looking at some of my older lunar sketches and the background has really degraded and turned oh. into this ugly, ugly gray just because of exposure to light and, and even just a little bit of light. So I use the Strathmore Artigan paper uh, and I, I use like charcoal chunks of charcoal and charcoal pencils white and black and just the generals brand brand that the really inexpensive ones um, sometimes i use conti crayon but they're more oily and i actually have a harder time getting a smooth appearance with them so yeah yeah i've uh, that's what i've been using recently is just uh one of the uh generals it's like a pastel chalk and in, in white yeah. and yeah, I don't know. Like there, I've I've tried a few different uh, chalks, but definitely the generals, which, like you said, is among the most affordable. I mean, mm -hmm. they're pretty much dirt cheap. I oh, think yeah. what, what are they like sixty nine cents uh, a pencil or something like that? And yeah. yeah, they they definitely have they they've definitely nailed it. They're like the the ketchup or the Heinz ketchup of the uh, of the tomato sauce world, right? Yeah, yeah, and they, you know, they're they they do probably produce more dust than some of the other ones, and so you just got to be careful not to blow like into your tube or <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, take it away when you're when you're um, getting rid of the excess charcoal. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's for sure. But the effect is really nice. I'd like yeah. that sort of the way you're able to use those to represent that uh, sort of uh, ghostly ethereal nature of, uh, of the nebulae is, uh, is quite, quite nice with those. What other, what other tools are, uh, are you using that, uh, that are sort of your own personal preferences? You know, um, when I'm doing deep sky and I'm working on globular clusters and um, even for some nebulae, I, I like using brushes. So just your regular um, paint brushes. And I've been recently using um, some makeup brushes. So, and this is, this is a tip that I got from Alex Massey in, in Australia, but just, you know, dipping it into your charcoal and then kind of dabbing it off on something for a while and then putting it on the paper makes a really nice, round, fuzzy kind of ball for your globular. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a good start. And, and it's better than a tortillon. It's better than your finger. If you use your finger, you get 
sometimes stuff that looks like fingerprints. Um, yeah. But it's, it's it's pretty simple. So I, I enjoy using um, using that too. And, and you're and you're scanning your sketches. I think you said not doing uh, photos of them. Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm scanning them. I can do photos of them, um, and that works too. And sometimes I'll I'll just do that. I I like keeping a personal record in my computer of all all the things that I've sketched, and I have them in different folders and things, so I can quickly access them if I want to look at something or share something. Or yeah, I I just bought a scanner. I found that I couldn't. But when I was doing the photos with the phone, it was really like bleeding out, like, you know, one side, wherever the light source was, was coming in. Mm -hmm. Or if I got the room dim enough or the lighting, uh, you know, sort of even enough, then it would take like a a long exposure and it would just sort of blur everything out. So it was just like, it was maddening, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, when and and you have to kind of adjust some of the settings too to make it work for you. But it, it's nice because if you want to present it somewhere and you have like a stray mark going off to the side, that's you know you'd rather get rid of. You can do a little bit of editing too. Yeah, yeah. So as far as people getting started in uh, astronomy sketching, what mm-hmm. uh, what might be some advice that that or guidance that you can uh, provide people? Yeah, you know, I mean, the biggest advice is just do it. Uh, I think one deterrent to sketching is that people think it has to be good. They have to, you know, put if they can't be any good, then I'm I'm just not going to do it. Um, but you, you just record what you see. I mean, the the cool thing is the more you do it, the more comfortable you get, and then you'll look back on older sketches and you'll think, oh, you know what, that is better. Um, but you know, it's not about creating a masterpiece. It's just recording what you see. And I'd also recommend joining something like an astronomy sketching forum because I've learned so much there. I think I've learned more there than maybe anywhere else besides just, you know, just doing it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you enjoy it, it's an, it's an ongoing process and there's always new cool things to learn. Nice. So maybe for uh, advice for those of us that uh, have taken up the, the, uh, the sketching, uh, what might be some advice for those of us who are already doing it to improve our sketches and, and get a little bit better at this? Yeah, you know, and and just like I, I mentioned about um, joining uh, a sketching uh, forum, I think that's huge. But even just looking at what other people are doing, like astronomy sketch of the day, um, you can that that was like what initially made me want to to learn more or do more. Um, yeah, so I mean, just just continuing to do it. Try things that you are uncomfortable with. Like I'm so comfortable with black paper now. I, even when I did that video for the for the talk that I gave, it was like, oh man, this. It took me a little bit to kind of get there again because it's been a long time since I've done that kind of sketching with just charcoal or graphite. So you know, to put yourself out there and and try some different different things. Do you, do you sketch everything you observe or like, and I know when you're doing outreach, you, you're probably not doing any sketching then, but oh. like, do you mostly go out to sketch and observe or, or is it sort of a mix of observing and sketching? 
you know, most of the time I, I do sketch or even if I just get something down really, you know, really quickly, I do enjoy sketching and I, I do usually do sketches, but I mean, there are times that I go out and I'm just like, ah, you know, I just feel lazy. I just want to hop around to a few things and enjoy, um, just enjoy being out here and doing nothing else. But uh, I have to say that when I do sketch, I, I definitely feel like I get more out of the evening. And I mean, it's like, you know, eating a home cooked meal versus McDonald's. It's just, it's, it's more satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there goes that McDonald's sponsorship, St. Shane. <laughs> oh, well. I'm just kidding. I really enjoy McDonald's sometimes. <laughs> wow. You know, one of my favorite meals after observing or snack is a McDonald's cheeseburger on the way back home. <laughs> I don't know bread. why, but yeah, it's delicious at that time of the day. <laughs> yep, that it is. <laughs> So when, when you're out doing this and I don't know, maybe we've covered this already, but what, what is like your favorite part about being under the nighttime sky or sketching? Well, what is, what is it that sort of draws you to uh, all of this, Cindy? You know, um, I don't, I don't know if you feel this way, Shane and, um, or, or uh, Chris and Shane, I don't even, I, do you sketch? Are you a sketcher? Okay. No, it's really not in my wheelhouse. I've okay. had some weak attempts and I just, it's not for me or at least so far it's, it's not for me. Okay. Well, uh, for me, uh, I just, I get like almost into this Zen zone. I, I really get, once I start sketching, I, I feel like everything just sort of fades around me and that's all there is, is me and the sketch. And I mean, sometimes an hour or more can go by. So that's, you know, one of the things I really love about getting out and, and sketching. But, you know, I mean, you know, that just being under the night sky is is uh, is very meditative. And I I enjoy doing that by myself. I like to go up to Haleakala and just set up in the parking lots and and be there. And uh, but I enjoy doing it with friends, too. So, you, you know, you can you can kind of whatever you're sort of feeling, you can you can get out and get away from sort of everything else for a little while. Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. Sometimes it uh, it it just really can grab your attention in such a way. I was out the other morning um, when I was I was at the telescope uh, at about four or five a.m. on Saturday morning, and it was our first really cold morning. It was around minus four Celsius, and uh, and I was sketching uh, Orion. I was sketching M42. It wasn't great conditions. I decided I would just sketch M42 just for practice and and see if the sky improved. And when I was done, the sky had improved a lot. I was really surprised, but I was getting cold. So I came inside and I was surprised to see that the the clock had advanced about an hour. <laughs> yeah. for, for that, you know, it takes a while to sketch the whole sort of Orion through through the telescope and then changing filters and stuff. And I was like, oh, the time really really had had sort of uh, ticked by on me a bit more than I thought it had pretty surprising. Yeah. And it, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but uh, I've been so excited about sketching something one time that I just like dive right into it. And then I had one evening I came in the house and I'm like, what is this? Wait a minute. What, what, what objects did I sketch? And I, I, I was, I almost couldn't figure it out. So now I try to put all that information in first. Yeah. Otherwise, you're like, oh, gee whiz! I <laughs> my friend Mike brought up his uh, his he has a 12 inch telescope. I mostly observe with my uh, 60 millimeter, four inch, or five inch uh, binoculars, 
And I was, I was really excited that he brought up his 12 inch and we were looking at all these globular clusters and I was trying to sketch really fast because there was a few people here and I didn't want to take up too much time with the eyepiece. And when, when we were done, I hadn't labeled anything. We, I, we looked at, I think, half a dozen globulars, M15, M2, M75, M30, M2, uh, M15. Anyway, sketched all these globulars, and I couldn't figure out which globular was which. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been there. I've been there. So, uh, yeah, so that can happen, too. I was, we're, I'm on a an astronomy forum it's just it's for like the royal astronomical society of canada members it's like a members forum and there's a sketching forum in there and we were talking about perspective and um like the dimensional sizes of our sketches and so i was like oh i should ask cindy um how large are your sketches what size sketch pad are are you using and are you using like red or amber lights or anyway, th- those are my questions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I am using amber light Okay. and you know, and everything I do sketches at the IP. So I don't do anything indoors. So it's all, it's all, so you have to be prepared for what your, your conditions are going to be there. And then I use all different sizes of paper. Um, but uh, if I'm doing something on white paper, I normally will put in a three inch circle. Okay. And, and really, it just has to be big enough to show um, the, the 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 smallest features that you observed. So it, I don't think there is any kind of, it's got to be this size, it's got to be this size. I've done it on all sizes of paper. But because I like to keep everything in a notebook, I, I do use kind of a standard size sheet of paper usually. But so I like have eight, eight and a half by, by, yeah, yeah. The whatever that by, is. yeah. Yeah. The one we were talking about this is that I'm using just, I I prefer just for size. It's just behind me here, but it's just like a small, I think it's like four and a half by six or seven inches. I just like that size or maybe it's a little bit bigger than that. I also have like the 12 by, by nine, which is nice when you're sitting at a desk, but I find it too big when I'm at the telescope. But the problem we were discussing is that when, when sketching on these small pieces of paper, you know, when you use, the, the edge of the paper is a bit of a palette when you're you're putting your chalk on that to to kind of go back and forth uh, to with your tortillon or your blending stump or brush or whatever you're using. So so then when I cut out the piece with the the just the sketch, it ends up like being just that's all you have. And it, I feel like it loses something anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I like having some black sky or some darkness around whatever I'm sketching. And I normally put um, my papers on a clipboard. I have a big kind of oversized clipboard. And when I'm, and I normally keep a separate piece of paper for doing what you just talked about, like, you know, putting down a little charcoal so I can dip in it. And, and so that way I just keep my sketch, my sketch without anything else in it. But it's, it's sort of fun when you're just to, to do it, so that it's almost like the process. Okay, here are the things that I was using. This is my little where I was using to dip in to get some charcoal and your little notes that you write next to things. I I really kind of appreciate that too. What's one thing that you have yet to sketch that you would like to sketch? Yeah, you know, many of the southern sky jewels so I've been below the equator uh, three times and had binoculars and did some sketching, but I really want to be down there with a scope. 
Uh, I think that would be really exciting. We we can see from here, we can see Omega Centauri and uh, the Eticarina Nebula. But for Eticarina, actually, I have to lay on the ground because it, it only gets about 10 degrees off the horizon, which is okay. The portable will do that. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I really want to go back under the equator and, and sketch and observe some things down there. Yeah, I've never been. I uh, I I was so eager to go. We were supposed to go to New Zealand this past year, but um, just as like it was planned before the pandemic, and then the, the pandemic interfered with the plans. Still, even that yeah. late in the game. But uh, yeah, we have a, a listener Wade who writes us from Australia, and he was out uh, this past uh, new moon period for three nights under like a Bortal 1 or a Bortal 2 sky in the, you know, in Australia somewhere. And he was giving us a report of basically spending most of the night, I think, on the large Magellanic cloud one night and telling us all the details. Just, just fantastic. It'd be great to get down there. When I went to uh, New Zealand, I actually had one evening that was scheduled at the ARG uh, Dark Sky Reserve. And that's in the, the south uh, island and I had gotten in touch with an amateur astronomer and she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll loan you my telescope for the night. So got there, was so excited about it. It was the only night in the entire trip that it rained and we, we weren't planning on staying there more than one night. So maybe next time. Maybe yeah. Next time. That's too bad. <laughs> so Cindy, um, you mentioned you observe in your driveway. Uh, is there other kind of dark areas to go to in Maui or, or where, where do you like to observe there? Yeah. Um, and observing from my driveway nightly really doesn't happen anymore. Um, okay. That's that's when I can observe here, I definitely do. But because I'm at 4,000 elevation, I'm right below the cloud belt, which is 5,000. <laughs> so I will a lot of times pack up my stuff and go up the hill. I live right on the side of Haleakala. So um. it's 20 minutes to the entrance. It's 40 minutes to the top. Wow. And uh, so I'll, you know, I'll get up there and I'll just, you know, sometimes I just pull into one of the, the parking lots. But when I go to actually uh, the the site with the pad that we have in Science City, um, you know, we have a bathroom and we have a warm room and it's like, ah, this is so cool. Uh, and then, you know, that backdrop of of uh, pan stars and the Daniel mm -hmm. K. Inouye Solar Telescope is is very cool. So yes, I like I love being up there. Um, but when it's really like in the winter time, it gets it gets really, really cold. And it, you know, I mean, it gets in the upper 30s Fahrenheit. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I don't know what that is in Celsius. Yeah, it's like but... five or six degrees, I think. Okay. That's what um, it was when I was there. Okay. I I, you know, when it gets like that, I I just don't want to sketch. I'm I'm, you know, I'm just kind of not built for for that. And um, I'm really kind of a weather wimp. So yeah. But, you so, know, I can go down to the ocean, too, and 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 observe. It just kind of depends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that That's a good plan B. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, with, with observing up on Haleakala, is it almost guaranteed to not be cloudy then for you? Like, are you typically clear or you still have to play with the clouds and hope for yeah. good conditions? Yeah. Yeah, it's still a, you know, I mean, it's a crapshoot for sure. Yeah, yeah. There are there are times that it's looked like it's going to be completely clear and you get up there and, you know, the, the conditions just kind of deteriorate. Mm -hmm. So you never know. And um, 
It's it's like you know one of my friends Rob he's he's always says no guts no glory should we go up tonight it doesn't look very good no you were gonna go because it's no guts no glory so then you go and we have we have fun anyway in the warm room if if you know conditions aren't good yeah yeah for sure um, I've been up there once it was not for for strong astronomy purposes we did the tour to watch the sunrise from the the bottom of the clouds which was uh, stunning but yeah. uh, the wind up there really uh, whew, that was intense and this would have been probably I think in like February time frame so my wife and I we brought toques and winter shells and were somewhat prepared, but there was a lot of folks in t-shirts and beachwear <laughs> that yeah. uh, didn't do so well up there because of that cold that you mentioned, as well as the wind. Mm -hmm. And it's not only, it's not always windy. So that that's actually one of my parameters for going up mm. is that if I look at the weather and it says, you know, 10 to 15 miles per hour, I'm like, eh, I'm going to stay home. Um, because, you know, when your scope is like doing this, yeah. you're not you're shaking all over the place. It's, it's hard to enjoy. Um, so yeah, that's, it, it's, it's, sometimes it's just absolutely perfect conditions really really beautiful and it's still that's still considered uh, a Bortle two um area is haleakala uh, but you know i mean there's there's more and more light pollution here too which is like everywhere else mm -hmm. so in the astronomical league work that uh, that you do can you tell us a little bit about uh the certificates that you're involved in yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I basically have done a lot of the, the certificates. Um, I've done about 30 of the programs since 2012 and, uh, I'm currently a master silver observer and you know, going for the gold next, but I, I really love checkoff lists and I find the programs to be um, very, uh, educational and they help keep me focused when I go out. I, I like that. I like having kind of a goal. Um, yeah. So keep, keep doing them. What's been your favorite program so far? 30. I, I don't know anybody else who's done 30 observing programs. So what's been your uh, favorite observing program so far? My absolute favorite was the Planetary Nebula program. Okay. And I, I think it was just, it, it was, um, it was really difficult. It actually took me 10 years to complete it. Holy and yeah, you know, what I mean, some of that stuff you're you're looking for. You're like, is this it? And I did star hop for every one of those objects. So there were times I'm looking at things, going, I don't know if this is it. It's you know, this is just this stellar little dot, and uh, that was really rewarding. That was a really rewarding program. It's it's my favorite. How many uh, objects are in that one? Or do I you think know? you know. I want to say 110, okay. but maybe we had to sketch 75. Honestly. I, I don't remember right off the top of my head. I was I was looking at one um, not this this weekend, but last weekend. It was it was new to me. I sort of had found it in in the charts. It was uh, Sharpless two two one six, which is the second closest. So you're nodding. Have you have you sketched that one? I've I've sketched anything that was on the list, and I don't remember right off the top of my head, but probably because there are a lot of very obscure um, planetaries in that program. That one is tough. That's the second closest planetary nebula, uh, of course, next to the uh, helix. And what was it? Uh, what was it again? Because I want to look it up later now. SH two two one six. Okay. Yeah, I'll look. I'll look it up later because. Up in Cephas, I think it has. It might have an Abel number or something like that too. But that's 
what it, what it was when we were looking. I we sketched it and it was so ethereal and it was too low. We we should have we just wanted to see if we could see anything. It was probably a little too low. It was only about maybe twenty five degrees or thirty degrees up, and we were like, oh, we have to come back to this when it's really high because here it will go um, right through the north. So it'll it'll be like seventy or eighty degrees up at one point. I want to take another look. And we were, I was I sketched it after I was done. I I said, when we look at an image of this, because we didn't know what it looked like, we didn't look at images first. It won't look anything like what we sketched, and that was true. It was the only the only uh, commonality between what what I was able to sketch and the object was that it was it had a very um, well defined side on one side, and then it sort of faded off. But it was it's big. So yeah. yeah, you know what I I think I have sketched now that you've described it to me. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll I'll have to look at. It. I'll I'll let you know I'd, if you sketched it. I'd love to see your sketch later. Yeah, I can send you that. It's yeah, it's okay. sort of nothing to write home about, but we yeah we got to try it when it's higher up and we're yeah. we're uh, better prepared. Yeah, it was just sort of an off the cuff thing, but sometimes yeah. it's fun to observe that way. So yeah, I got to check out that list. I've, I've sort of been on a little bit of a planetary nebula kick and. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you cool. do you look at your objects before you go out to sketch or do you like go out to sketch and then? I try, it depends. I try not to um, look, look at them or look them up too much. Sometimes it's difficult though, because for some targets, like, I don't know if, if you've ever sketched any of the, uh, those big components of the Orion Eridanus bubble, you know, like the big and, to find out where some of those pe- brighter pieces are, uh, you need to look at photographs. So, because mm-hmm. they're not really on on the charts as much. So, I was doing some sketching of those recently, and and uh, I did uh, I did look at a photographic atlas just to make sure I had the right star. But yeah, I try not to. How about yourself? Do you do you like to look at the photos first and then go sketch, or try to go out sort of tabula rasa, right? No, I'm I'm like you. I wanna I wanna go out and I wanna see what I can see first. Mm-hmm. I do look at whatever it was that I sketched later on, and you know sometimes you're thinking, oh, how did I miss that? Wow, that's kind of yeah. weird. And you know, go back out and and look at it again. But no, I I try not to unless it's like something I can't locate. Then while I'm out, I've got to look at a star chart or I've got to look at I'm used sky safari, and I'll have to like, okay, is this is this the field or not? Yeah. It's, it's difficult. Like you get so polluted, or at least I get so polluted by, you know, I've seen so many photos of the Pleiades that when I go out to sketch it, like, I I feel like I'm so preloaded with those images of the Pleiades in my, in my mind that there's no way I'm giving it like this objective view. So, yeah. Yeah. No. And you know, when, after the 2017 total solar eclipse, I took a lot of notes. So I took a lot of audio notes and and I wrote things down, but I decided I was not going to sketch while I was observing because it's just, you know, it's too short of a time. Yeah. And when I got home, I decided I was not going to look at a single astrophotograph of, of the eclipse until after I had gotten down on paper what I saw. Mm-hmm. And it was it was pretty good. But you know, I mean, you, you look then I after that I looked at the at some of the um at the uh, the images and I thought, yeah, you know, it was pretty good, but yeah. So it was my own, what I remembered and what I wrote down. And I, I, I felt like I got more out of that too. So are, are you going to try to see this one coming up in uh, April or do you have plans for that? Oh, yes. 
Oh, yes. So going to Eagle Pass, Texas, which is right on the border with Mexico. um, I got back from a a big trip in April and I thought, you know, I I, that was when I decided I'd start like looking for a hotel and and that kind of thing. And that was already too late. I mean, everything was pretty much taken up in the areas that I thought I wanted to be in, in the center line. And so, you know, found something, which is a really nice place, but it's, it's going to be far from, you know, far from where our plane lands. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. How about you? Are you, are you going to try to, you guys going to try to do that? Shane? Uh, Unlikely, uh, but still possible. Um, My wife and I are contemplating a few different trips. Um, One is this, but uh, there might be some other ones that uh, overrule this one. So we'll see. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I might go out uh, east because it actually cuts through not far from where I grew up out on the uh, Atlantic coast. And I have a cousin who lives like a, a very short drive from the center line. Nice. But it's also the the cloudiest place. Um, so we'll we'll see. I think it's I think it's the worst place to go and try to see the eclipse. But there, there's an attraction to that as well. And I've done some astronomy with my cousin before. He does the music for our show, and uh, he uh, he and I have have been remarkably lucky in in seeing some events. So anyway, but I was thinking if if I do get the chance to go and see it, that I might try to sketch it. So I was gonna if if I if I start planning for it and I decide I'm going to go, I was thinking I might try to, to do a sketch of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would have to do a lot of practice to, to sketch very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, it just, it, for me, it's like, it just doesn't, it, there, it, it, it goes so quickly that I, I just want to enjoy it. But I was thinking since this time it's twice as long as the last one that I observed, maybe I would, you know, give, I'm going to take all my sketching stuff with me, but yeah. we'll see if I do it or not. Cause I almost couldn't like speak during the eclipse, but you know, the spit dried up in my mouth and <laughs> words that were coming out made no sense. Cause I, 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 I audio taped it too. And it's, <laughs> it's funny how, you know, that affects you. Seeing yeah. 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 We, we saw the one in 2017 and uh, I had a camera set up on a tracker. So when totality occurred, I was doing all of the different shots to get, you know, the different exposures. And to your point, it, like there's just, you're, you're without words and it, it affects you in such a way that it, it's hard to prepare for that. Um, and I felt like I, you know, because it was such a, a brief moment in time, I felt like I, I shortchanged my experience by worrying about the stupid camera. <laughs> so, yeah. so if we, if we happen to travel for this next one, I've already told myself, um, I'm just going to look at it. I'm not going to worry about the camera or anything else and just, you know, take in as much, uh, as I can with my eyes and, and, uh, just, you know, be, be thankful for the moment because those are incredible things to observe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And somebody else will get a great, you know, great shot. Yeah, so exactly. You'll, you'll, you'll still see it. It's just, <laughs> yeah. you can experience it. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Well, uh, Cindy, was there anything that we didn't cover that uh, we should have spoken about or? Um, you know, no, not really. I mean, we talked about a lot of stuff. It's been really fun. Yeah, it's been great having mm-hmm. you on. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. Shane, did you have anything to add? No, just thanks, Cindy. This is a great talk. Uh, I'm always, uh, Hawaii is probably one of our favorite places on earth. So uh, 
you know, as, as you're talking, I'm, I'm visualizing some memories and, and I can't wait to come back uh, to your beautiful yeah. islands. It's a, uh, it's a wonderful place. Well, when you do, we'll, we'll go up to the top of Haleakala and, you know, and enjoy some night sky together. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Okay. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, uh, Cindy. And uh, for listeners out there, please subscribe and do us a favor and share the show with other stargazers you know. You can always send us your show ideas, observations, and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.